Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It was a very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome to the Inside Carolina Post Game Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. We were sponsored by Johnny T shirt, JohnnyTshirt.com. Tough one down in Atlanta. Something about Atlanta is a wishy-washy place for North Carolina to have to go. They fall 74-73. Let's kind of work our way back. I want to get your opening thoughts, but I want to work my way backwards from the end there um, all the way throughout the game. But just overall, North Carolina loses one. They probably could have stole there at the end. What you think? Yeah, it's a foul. I mean, it's uh... – it's hard when games come down to the last possession and you point to that and the cynic in, in all of us says Duke got that call on Saturday, almost a virtually identical play guard getting downhill uh, gets bumped by a big off balance. It's a foul. That's a foul. The other 39 minutes of the game. So it's unacceptable not to make that call, let alone for the ACC probable player of the year, or maybe the national player of the year. You get that call. You deserve that call. Um, and that's two free throws. And we maybe sneak out of there with a win. Um, not a fan of the switch on the last defensive possession. We've been through that. Uh, much rather see RJ fight over that and keep his man in front of him. I, you know, spread the floor with a five guarding a one. You're at a disadvantage. And kid made a good tough shot. I give him credit. But you know, if you're uh, if you're Mondo and you get that switch, make him shoot a ten foot or fifteen foot. Make sure to contest a jumper when he got to the rim. So I hated the switch. Um, I thought the play Hubert drew up was was good. Got RJ going downhill. He probably had a three if he wanted it. Uh, but he tried to go to the rim and get contact, and he got fouled. So um, we'll get into the rest of the game, but your question was about the final couple possessions, and uh, yeah, it's foul. I mean, it's straight up, it's foul. Yeah, that's why I think I said on one of these podcasts, or maybe it was on, on the beat or whatever, that's why the ACC sucks overall, because the officiating is so inconsistent. I'm not a ref guy. 
and I'm going to ask you about the Elliot Cadeau situation as well. I'm not one of those people that say, oh, if the refs were this or the refs were that, um, my team would have won or whatever. But to your point, literally days ago, to make sure there was a top ten game on Saturday, if you conspiracy theorists, Duke gets <laughs> that call. Yeah. And then RJ don't doesn't. To your point, RJ gets no respect from, from the officials in this league. And it's another reason why the ACC is just no good. And, um, you know, but the bottom line is North Carolina needs to play better. But let's talk about the Elliott Cadeau situation because I tweeted something, and I believe this to be accurate in my limited knowledge that some people say I have. If you get the same official that calls the same foul on you, two and then three times you have to adjust whether or not you think it's a foul or not and this is not just a Cadeau thing this is a, a anybody playing basketball but especially a freshman learning the ropes do your take there you're a point guard you played the mm -hmm. game on the highest level with North Carolina I just think Cadeau's it's a learning experience that's the best way I can put it there they needed him on the floor and he wasn't there um, but maybe that helps down the road yeah, I said to you off air before he came on, it felt like all five foul calls were essentially the same. Like it was, you know, he had one or two hands on the hip of the offensive player and they blew the whistle. Um, you would like to see him adjust. And, you know, you see sometimes when guys get ticky tack, hand check fouls called, they exaggerate it, you know, by putting their hands way behind them just to show the refs like my hand is not on him. You, you would have liked to have seen him do something like that just to prove the point that his hands are nowhere near uh, the guy he was guarding. But all five fouls uh, felt the same, especially those first three happened in like six possessions, it felt like. So you'd like to see him adjust. He has shown a propensity to be foul prone at times throughout the year. This is this is a thing that freshmen do. They they don't understand the whistle. They don't adjust. You know, he, he's got a lot on his, on his mind trying to run the offense. And so defensively adjusting to how a ref is calling the game and specifically calling him. I'm not going to say it's a lot to ask, but you know, maybe, maybe just didn't enter his mind. Um, and look, Seth played great when he came in, right? Uh, I think our offense is less dynamic. Certainly without Elliot, you lose that, that penetration threat. Uh, he's better in the open floor, uh, but Seth played, played well and, and certainly was more than serviceable. So, Elliott's foul trouble was not why we lost the game. We, we lost the game, in my opinion. We shot the ball terribly. I mean, you look at the simple stats. Take RJ out of it for a second. We shoot 17 for 54 in the game, which is, you know, just abysmal. That's that's under 30%. Yeah, it is, 51. Yeah, it's under 30%, right? Should we shoot, shoot like 27% for everyone not named RJ? Harrison and Cormac both shoot three for 14. I mean, if, if two of your three starters shoot six for 28, on the road, and then you shoot nine of 17 from the line, it's hard to beat anybody. Uh, what's up, GB? So, uh, look, frustrating. Uh, when it got down by five or seven, you know, my phone explodes and everyone says, oh, well, I'd rather lose this one than Saturday. And, you know, well, well no, not when you're playing. Let me just explain that to everybody. Not when you're playing. There's no, oh, this is okay because we're, we'd rather lose this one than Saturday. Like that, that thought process doesn't enter any player's mind, any coach's mind, any staff member's mind. That's not a thing. So people peppering these message boards with, well, I'd rather lose this one than lose. No, unacceptable to think that way. That's, that's weak mentality. That's not how it works. 
um, you needed to win the game before you. And uh, I just thought we were poor offensively. We allowed them to get some confidence. Let the, I mean, we were up 11. The crowd's out of it. We're playing fine. And, uh, and we let them get back, back into it and get confident. So, you know, I'll let, I'll let Greg jump in. But we were just, I thought, abysmal offensively. It's not like they went overly crazy. They shot 41% from the field. Yeah. We, we were just terrible offensively. You play to win the game. Yeah, I mean, come on, was, get, was, guys on the on the message boards. Get rid of that mentality, all of you. Forget about that. What's no. funny? What's funny about that, Greg? Is I guarantee you, ninety nine point nine percent of the people that haven't played the game at that level were thinking, well, if they're gonna lay an egg, they might as well get it out of their system now. And, and I love Dewey's point there, Greg. This North Carolina team uh, has lived on the road. You know, they they've won and they've grinded these games out we started the the just to catch you up we started talking about um it should have been a foul call at the end and then elliot Cadeau's five fouls were there was less contact in elliot's five than there were in the last one um from rj <laughs> but your just overall take on what you saw from north carolina as they limp home from atlanta to get ready for a big one saturday yeah i think what dewey said about uh, kind of the, the shooting issues kind of stand out. I mean, we – and I understand the fans are going to talk about the final play. Um, I think there's some plays right there at the end that are worth talking about anyway. But I think where North Carolina lost this game, as, as Dewey mentioned, they get up by 11, the crowd's out of it. Georgia Tech went on a 46-27 to 27 run over the next 22 minutes. That's and at that point, Carolina's down eight. And, and give R.J. Davis credit. I mean, what, what a performance by him. Uh, to really kind of put the team on his shoulders and bring them back. And to expand a little bit on Dewey's stats about how poor the team shot uh, other than R.J., if you look at just the second half, the numbers are even worse. R.J. was 7 of 14. His teammates were 7 of 28. So his teammates shot 25% from the floor on the road in ACC play. Um, that's just not going to get it done. And, uh, you know, some things to, to nitpick, but – it is one of those things, too. It's very difficult to bring your A game every single night. That doesn't mean it's okay to lose these games by any stretch, but it's very difficult to play at that high level game in and game out. And one of the benefits to having as much talent and experience that Carolina has is that most of the time your B game is going to be good enough to win. And I think you have to give Damon Stoudemire some credit. He took advantage of, of the switch there late. Uh, to get their game-winning basket. Um, and he, I think he made some some good calls throughout the night that really gave them a chance. And as poor as Georgia Tech's record is, they did get a, a big win against Clemson, and they played Duke close twice. Mm -hmm. So they've shown the potential with those young guards to be a thorn. And they took advantage of some of North Carolina's sloppiness tonight to, to pull out a win. Dewey, let me give you another stat. Greg always brings them. North Carolina layups, eight for 22 layups. Mm -hmm. It reared its head again where they've had trouble finishing at the rim where I felt like over the last several games when they've been able to grind these out, they have success there, whether it's Cadeau getting to the rim and making plays, RJ doing it. Eight for 22 at the rim against Georgia yeah. Tech. Tommy, the, the stats tell the story, right? I mean, eight for 22 at the rim. We both shot 17 free throws. We made nine. They made 15. There's six points right there. They killed us on the glass. 41 to 26. 
murdered us on the glass. So you shoot 36% from the field, 28% from three, 53% from the line, get out-rebounded by 15, shoot eight for 22 on layups, and you're starting three and four, shoot six for 28. On paper, you got no chance. So the fact that we had the ball with a chance to win and should have been at the line for two with the 95% free throw shooter maybe is actually uh, somewhat lucky. I mean, they, it just, it's, it was weird. First 10 minutes looked like we've looked, played well, made shots, moved the ball, got up 11, and then the air came out of it. And, uh, and Georgia Tech got momentum and just kind of chopped it up. They switched defenses a lot, which, you know, Tom, you texted me, uh, you know, so Stoudemire deserves credit for, uh interrupting the rhythm of the game certainly um but god we just make any shots guys i mean how many turnovers we have total uh, only 11 I mean, 11 like we, just didn't, we couldn't make a shot guys we just we couldn't shoot period and, and a they, terrible place to play in atlanta always somehow yeah always. and george and, and dewey carolina actually ended up winning the rebounding battle 48 to 41 overall they did uh, what was i looking at i don't know but Georgia Tech bench points, 39 to 14. And Dewey, Carolina had one turnover in the second half. They had 10 in the first half. Oh, I was just crazy. Sorry about that. Uh, so we actually out rebounded them. Um, but yeah, it, it just couldn't make a shot, guys. I mean, come on. Couldn't and, put it in. And it is a make or miss. Let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, we've talked about Cormac Ryan's shooting, and he was three for 10 on threes, but he's three for 14 overall. How imperative is it that Carolina gets somebody that can hit consistent shots from the outside, Greg, to to offset RJ? I mean, RJ's 28, nobody else more than nine. You've talked about, Dewey's talked about the poor shooting all around, but the three-point shooting for me is a little bit alarming at times for this team, despite being able to grind out games. Yeah, for sure. And I think one of the, one of the issues is everybody kind of focuses on on Cormac because he's not shooting kind of like he has been throughout his career. He's a little bit below that. But that's kind of um, – there's more of a, a spotlight on that because Harrison Ingram has finally kind of regressed to the mean. I mean, if you look at what he's done from the three-point line of late, uh, it's just nowhere near as effective as he was you know, the first month or so of the season. And I think those two things combined with, with Harrison and Cormac struggling from outside it puts this incredible amount of pressure on rj and look give rj credit uh, he's he's done a fantastic job really carrying the team did so again tonight um but that's a little bit too much to ask for him to do and yeah i mean who else are you going to get it from right uh Wojcik's just not getting enough minutes and that's not really kind of his thing anyway we know cano's not necessarily an outside shooter certainly trembles not uh, Everett Withers, Everett Withers. I keep saying it, calling him Everett. Um, <laughs> that's like the fourth time I've done that. Uh, he, he shot very, very strongly from three at Louisville last year. That's still asking a lot to expect him to give you much from the outside. And so, yeah, if Harrison and Cormac are both struggling, you're very limited. And given RJ's height, your teams are, are able to run him off the line a little bit. So that, that is a little bit of an issue. You, you don't want, two of your three main shooters struggling from the perimeter. Tommy, I think this is not some revelation when you, if you watch the game and you know, the, know basketball a little bit, 
I, Cormac is in such a rush to me. I, I if, if he could just take a millisecond to gather himself, I think he would shoot it as he's capable. Because uh, I think his form is fine. He's typically on balance. Um, he is going so fast. He's a bit of a a frantic player anyway, and that serves him very well on the defensive end with hustle plays. He sticks his nose in there. Uh, he has to be a gigantic pain in the ass to play against. Just you can see that. We, I mean, we, we saw that at Notre Dame, right? Playing against me. God, this guy's annoying. Um, so all of that serves him, but shooting, shooting is about rhythm, you know, and, and gathering yourself. I mean, think about what it used to look like when Wayne Ellington would catch and shoot the ball. It was like poetic, right? It was like, God, look at that. The rhythm, PJ Hairston, the rhythm, these, you know, great Rashad McCants, dare say his name, Jawad Williams, you know, these guys that were elite shooters for us over the, over the years. I remember watching those guys being like, look at the rhythm. I mean, that looks like effortless. And Cormac to me, that you wouldn't use that word. You would say, wow, he really shot that fast and he looks kind of frantic and, Maybe he could take a millisecond. And so, um, God, I'd love to see them find a way to get him to slow down just a half beat, uh, especially on catch and shoots. He's in such a rush. I mean, he shoots it faster than anybody I can remember uh, that's, that's labeled a shooter. And, um, yeah, I'd like to see him just just take a beat. Yeah, Tom, it, Tommy, it, let me, the let me old add golf this real quick. It reminds me of when I play golf, people say, why are you so quick in your backswing? I mean, it's like Cormac is that guy that grip and rip golf swing that he'll strike one every once in a while. But if you just slow down a tick, Greg, go ahead. So just to put some, some more numbers on this, Harrison, for example, in non-conference play, Harrison shot 48.9% from three, which is just ridiculous. He's at 30.2% in ACC play. So that's just a massive drop from where he had been. Uh, Cormac, as odd as it may sound, he's actually shooting better in ACC play than he was in non-conference. Neither are good, of course. He's at 30.9% from three in ACC play after tonight, and he's 30% on the, the season overall. But here's the concern for me with Cormac, kind of to, to both of your points, about being rushed and seeming to be a little bit stressed. Um, as of a week or so ago, he was shooting – uh, the best percentage from two of his entire career, as well as the best percentage of his career from the free throw line. Uh, that has started to diminish as well. And he's down to 40% from two um, after he was shooting above 50% in non-conference play. That to me says, okay, maybe that three-point shooting issue that he's dealing with is starting to filter down maybe to all of his, his shooting that is not what you want to see. Interesting numbers. Greg brings the numbers. I just, I'm just here, and then Dewey, of course, bringing an excellent analysis. Let's talk about Johnny T-shirt for a second. Franklin Street, JohnnyT-shirt.com. Visdom, ten percent off if you're an Inside Carolina Premium subscriber, and then CongruityHR.com. Front slash Tar Heels. Get your small to mid-sized business. Shout out or a free assessment. Um, and they'll do it if you're an Inside Carolina person. They give you that free assessment. Go to congruityhr.com for slash Tar Heels. 722 people here in the chat. Dewey, North Carolina loses this one. You, you can't 
change it. I mean, you, you'd like to win them all. Um, but your thoughts here, and then Greg, no, nah, Greg, I'll let you come in and get in on the, a question you have. You, you, you side texted me, so I'll let Greg ask the question before I move on to Duke. I defer to the great one, Greg Barnes. Well, this is just a this is just a uh, really a question that personally I want to know, and I want to preface this. I don't want people to jump on me. I am not suggesting that this is why Carolina lost the game. I think we can all agree RJ got fouled at the end. Uh, it, it was a good play design, and you know Carolina should have won the game uh, with a couple free throws. That being said, when the kid hit the the game winner. There were 7.7 seconds left. Now, somebody that, that Dewey may or may not have played for once told me, hmm. quote, I know where this is going. our rule is, and for every team I've ever coached, is that if it's less than seven seconds, we'll call a timeout. If there's more than seven seconds, we're going to run. Why give the other team a chance to set their defense? Mm-hmm. Now, there were 7.7 seconds left, so we're right on that line anyway. But when R.J. got the ball, was coming up the court, I was like, all right, attack the rim, R.J. Got in my Roy mode. And Hubert decides to call a timeout. Um, did that surprise you? And, and does that matter? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I, I didn't hate where R.J. was with the ball. Kind of, you know, it was it, like almost like a secondary break situation. It wasn't direct transition because it was off a made basket. But he probably could have created. It seemed like he – he kind of was right in front of Hubert. Maybe could have crossed over, tried to get into the lane and and get a shot off. Um, and you certainly uh, would feel that way had we not gotten a good look out of the timeout. But I thought the set he called was a good one. I liked the, you know, they they ran Ingram off of Mondo. Mondo flashed. They got it to him, not even high post. I mean, he was above the three-point line. And I would imagine just said to RJ, hey, you're like a receiver on a corner. Pick your path get yourself open and you can take a handoff on either side and go make a play. And he did enough to get fouled. So um, I understand the question. I think we got a good look out of the timeout. And so what he drew up worked um, 50, 50 call. Right. I mean, if, if RJ, you know, dribbles in and shoots a three or shoots a 15 footer and misses, and there's, you know, the, the other argument coach Williams might make is you call a timeout there uh, to give yourself a chance at an offensive rebound. And if RJ in, in the kind of the mid transition moment goes and shoots, there's probably nobody there for offensive rebound and the game's over. You know, we didn't get an offensive rebound in the, in out of the timeout, but we had a chance at it. You know, Harrison was in there. Um, so yeah, yeah, look, I, I like the play drew up. Um, we had success when I played with just playing it out. You know, and uh, if you got a dynamic guard, you trust him. I'm not suggesting Hubert doesn't trust him. Um, uh, I think it's a tough one. You know, it's a toss-up, really. And to Hubert's credit, they have usually after timeouts, they've gotten good looks and good sets, whether they've run a play like that or whatever. I, and, I think they run good stuff. I, I I agree, Tommy. I think they run good stuff, side out of bounds, out of timeouts. I mean, you the use it or lose it rule you know where you have to call the timeout in the first half and you don't get it hubert's taken that and they've, they've gotten a lot of good looks the last possession of the first half when he's drawn stuff up so you know I, I think you know i actually think sully has a big bit to do with that you know just with his pro pedigree um because there's so much side out of bounds and and 
timeouts where they advance the ball in the NBA that you have to have a library of that stuff. And I think Sully's been really helpful in that. Um, so they got a great look. That's the bottom line, right? I mean, you can second guess it. They got a great look. You got fouled. Period. You got fouled. Yeah, and that you, that last point was going to be what I was going to add is that you know, Roy said he took that approach because that's what the Dean always did. And he was just kind of phone. And But Roy ran a lot of freelance. And Hubert is much more in the NBA mode. He calls a lot of plays. And I think that is a good example of what we saw in the game tonight of how Hubert's kind of really taken his approach and kind of owned it. And I agree. I, mean, I, I think they, they came up with a very good play at the end. Um, RJ should have been on the free throw line. I don't think there's any question about it. So, as I said, it's not a criticism, just that the different approach from mm-hmm. what Roy did to what Hubert did tonight. I, th- I think for me anyway, it was, it was pretty obvious and I thought it was interesting. Yep. 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 Hey, did everything you can to win the game. Yep. And the problem that we've seen is you let there be some way that somebody not wearing a Jersey on the field, on the court or on the field can be involved it, or make a difference. Then it, it usually does not go well. And what do we talk about all the time with football, Tommy in one possession games, it doesn't matter if it's a really good team or a really bad team. Over the long haul, those are going to fall about 50-50. Because what's going to happen is you're going to have a, a ref call. You're going to have a fluky shot, all these things. That's why the better teams tend to have bigger leads so you don't get in those situations. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and I'm going to repeat something, Tommy, that I've said on this podcast. I don't know how many years we've been doing it, that Coach Williams used to say to us all the time. And – had he been the coach and sitting in that locker room, I can hear him saying, you know, it might've been a foul. It might not have been. There are plenty of other possessions, but guess what guys? Good teams beat bad refs. He said it all the time. Yep. Good teams beat bad refs. I'm not saying we're not a good team, but good teams beat bad refs. So we shouldn't have been in that position. We're a better team. Shouldn't have come down to that possession. Uh, however, you deserve the call. So it's a tough one to go home feeling like you put a 95% free throw shooter on the line. But good teams beat bad refs. We shouldn't have been in that spot. Lot we could have talked about, didn't talk about Jalen Washington. I mean, that don't got me out of my seat. I, if yeah. he could do more of that, but I want to get out here about thirty minutes in, Dewey, and I know you've got things to do. Seven hundred seventy folks here in the live chat. Let's talk about Duke. How do you flush that as a player and move on to what everybody always points to as the big one, Dewey? Very easily. Yeah, I mean, this this bothers you. This bothers you on the bus to the airport, bothers you on the plane, bothers you. And then, you know, you pull back into the Smith Center and and for us, you know, coach would walk. With you. It's an interesting thing. I don't know if I've ever shared this. So when we would get back home from road trips, um, everybody else had to get off the bus, meaning, you know, radio guys and trainers and, and everybody. And but we all stayed in our seats. We didn't never get up, never get up until coach came back and gave us one last thought to go home with. That was every time we got home from a, a road trip. And so if Hubert has, has continued that, everybody will get off when they get to the Smith Center at, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning. And he'll walk back and he'll leave them with one thought. And uh, it it won't necessarily be about Georgia Tech, right? It's on to the next one at this point. So, you know, young kids, you forget about it. You wake up tomorrow morning, you're ready to go. They're probably off tomorrow. And then practice uh, Thursday, Friday. So, you need no motivation for this one. You know, it's all anybody's been talking about all week. And so, you know, everybody wants to talk about this was a trap game. I, guys, I, 
I don't even know what that means. You, you only get so many of these. You only get so many times to put the jersey on. And so the, those thoughts, those things, this, oh, maybe they're looking past them. Like, I'm just here to tell you it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in the locker room. It's not a thing, guys. You just you get to put this jersey on 36 times if you're lucky. Uh, it, it's just that's not a thing. And so speaking of put the jersey on, there's nothing like putting it on for this one. Um, so that atmosphere will be rocking two top 10 teams. Uh, we're both good. You know, we're both probably not great, but we're both good. And uh, yeah, I'm excited. Not a whole lot more to add to Mr. Brooks, Burke's comments there. Carolina Duke, I guess 6.30 in the Smith Center on Saturday. I actually have tickets. Can you believe that it's the first time in 22 years that I'll see a Duke game in person? Get that wow. man in the arena. I know, really. So it's either going – well, Well, I take that back, Dewey, because where were we in April of 2022? I was going to say, yeah, we were, we were there together for that one. Yeah, I, I will say in the Smith Center, we'll put it that way. Yeah. Um, so it'll either be the first in a new string or the last in a long time. It'll be fun to watch either way. Dewey Burke, Greg Barnes, Carolina Falls to Georgia Tech, 74-73. Down in Atlanta, Duke's next. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Shout out to Congruity and to Johnny T-Shirt. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do averaging 29 and 11. God, shit. what'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.